you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. All right, so good to be with you guys tonight. My name is Erin, as JJ said, one of the pastors here at Kaleo Phoenix, um, and it's a pleasure to talk about Miriam, who has radically changed my life in the last couple weeks. Um, so as many of you know, my husband Kendall works at a nonprofit organization called Neighborhood Ministries, and once a year, they go on a silent spiritual retreat. It's usually held at a Montessori, but due to schedule conflicts, Neighborhood was having it at Mountain Meadows Camp in Payson, Arizona. Now, this was Kendall's first time being invited since he started full-time last year, and Kendall invited me to go with, and being more intentionally adventurous this year, we decided to turn it into a long weekend of achieving a few of our Arizona bucket list items, two of which were seeing Antelope Canyon and Horseshoe Bend up in Page, Arizona. Show of hands, anybody been up there before? Yeah, all right. Although Antelope Canyon was kind of a disappointment for Kendall, because he thought we were going to be riding through red desert and ATVs as we laughed carelessly and let our luscious locks flow through the wind. It was more of a slow three quarters of a mile walk. Slight miscommunication on my part, but lesson learned nonetheless. And as we walked through the tall red rocks, smoothed over by hundreds of years of wind, water, and storm, I touched the cold cavern, imagining the many people and animals that have made their way through the same canyon. This was the first day of this experience, and I noticed how unconsciously I even started to listen to nature and the quiet world around me. It was almost like my body knew that the day after tomorrow we would be in Mountain Meadows at a silent retreat. So we left Antelope Canyon and took a 10-minute drive to Horseshoe Bend. And once again, it was breathtakingly beautiful. I was amazed and still am at how much beauty is in this one state and how many different types of terrain you can experience in Arizona. The day moved on, and we found ourselves at Big John's Barbecue, rated the best barbecue in Page, Arizona. Now, unbeknownst to me, there were several elderly white women that did not think that our young black bodily presence was necessary, but Kendall was the only one who noticed at the time, and later he told me he kept quiet because he didn't want to disturb my present joy. The barbecue was surprisingly really good. I don't know if you've ever been there, but like really good. Like my Uncle Lee's cooking in the back barbecue good. Like marinated overnight good. Like peach cobbler and vanilla ice cream good. No joke, that's what I had. It is really good. My God. Later that day, we drove down to Flagstaff to stay overnight at one of our friend's homes. And settling in after a full day of adventure was just different in a way that I honestly have a hard time explaining, but I'm going to attempt to. Again, it was like my body knew that the silent retreat was coming, and at one point in time in the future, words could no longer be uttered. So get all of your words out now because there's coming a time when you can't speak. And I imagined the time of silence, I began to listen to the words that my body was speaking. It's almost like the book, The Body Keeps the Score. 
The body is always speaking, always tallying, always aware of everything you experience and has a language of its own and tells you how it feels, but it speaks with words that cannot be uttered. It speaks with words I can only, that can only be heard in silence. So the silent retreat came and I made a list of things I wanted to hear from God about. My purpose and identity tangible things I could do to reclaim relational confidence, a new vision for friendships, especially in light of the ones that I felt I've recently lost. I wanted to hear from God about partnership and motherhood. I wanted a clear vision and purpose for pastoring and my role as a black female co-pastor. If I'm honest, I don't always feel confident doing what I'm doing. And sometimes imposter syndrome creeps up on me, so I wanted to hear from God about it. After I wrote the list, I left it alone for fear of becoming too methodical, and instead of trying to um, think too much about it, I just wanted to align myself with the mindlessness of just being. The next few days were intended for me to connect with myself, the Holy Spirit, and the world around me. As the days went on, I began to notice the emotions of my physical body surfacing, and welling up. Things I didn't know I felt became tears that welled up in my eyes and flowed down my cheeks and quickly observed by my husband, Kendall. And we discussed it, but I could not figure out why I was crying, except that I had never felt this way before. Nor did I realize I could feel like this, nor was I slowed down enough to know that this is how I've been feeling the whole time. I felt vulnerable, bare, insecure, unsure, unsettled. I didn't bring much of anything with me on the silent retreat except my Bible, a notebook, and a book called The Daughters of Miriam by Wilda C. Gaffney. I knew that I was going to be preaching about a woman of the Bible, which is right now, and at the time I thought I was going to preach on Gomer. For she was an unexpected vessel with an unexpected story, underestimated by others in the world and the culture around her. Disqualified by those with such high standards, but used by God to speak to a prophet. She sounds like my kind of woman. Always underestimated, always looked down upon, always more than what others gave her credit for. Sounds like someone I could identify with. Then I thought of preaching on Hagar a slave girl with such a nuanced Hulu drama series type life that only God could explain. Used by a superior to give birth to a child, then that child was seen as a threat by the same superior that used her. Hagar was seeking equality, rights, and privileges that should have belonged to her because of who she gave birth to. The nuances of slavery and power and empire are truly remarkable, and Hagar speaks to so many of those complexities. But I didn't bring a book about Hagar, nor did I bring a book about Gomer. I brought a book called The Daughters of Miriam by Wilda C. Gaffney. The author, Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney, is a scholar, pastor, preacher, and activist. She is the Right Reverend Sam B. Hosley Professor of Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas, where she teaches master's and doctoral students in initial and advanced degree programs, including master's of divinity, theology majors, and PhDs. So representation matters always, as I'm sure many of you know. 
And when I saw that Dr. Gaffney was a black woman with beautiful peppered fro braids, oh, you better believe I was listening and leaning all the way in. In the book, The Daughters of Miriam, there are untold numbers of female prophets hiding in the masculine grammar and androcentric focus of the Hebrew scriptures. The Rebianic and Christian fathers analyzed and found more women in the scriptures who functioned as prophets than the biblical authors identify. All of these female prophets have an intimate connection with the God of Israel. They express that connection by singing, dancing, drumming, speaking with and for God, waging war, performing miracles, exercising statecraft, and giving birth. Dr. Gaffney explains that each of them is a daughter of Miriam, the mother of all women prophets. And what I love about the book is that Wildes C. Gaffney tells you about these women, lists the scriptural passages that coincide with their life, and then presents many interpretations of these scriptures by rabbis, um, often called a midrash in the scriptures, and then challenges the Western worldview of how we interpret women in the Bible. What I hope to do tonight is to present to you her work and my own journey of enlightenment about the life of Miriam while I was at the silent retreat. So Miriam is found in nine passages of the Bible, three of which we'll look at today. And Miriam is the oldest of three and the only sister of Moses and Aaron. If you're familiar with Moses, he is the prophet that God uses to deliver the Israelites out of enslavement and bring them into freedom, liberation, and the promised land. In Exodus 2, 1 through 10, the beginning stages of Miriam's life's Life's, it's, Miriam's life is recorded. Tongue twister there. Her mother, Jochebed, gave birth to a son during a time where Pharaoh was having all Jewish boys be thrown into a river for fear of a prophecy becoming true and his power and empire being turned over. Jochebed, her mother, sewed together a waterproof basket with tar and pitch and placed Moses inside the basket and drifted it off into the river. For astrologers at the time had predicted that water would be the catalyst for the downfall of the Savior of the Jews. Some scholars say that Moses' mother, who was aware of her son's special destiny, hoped that as soon as Moses was placed in the water, the astrologers would see that the Savior of the Jews had already been cast into the water and decree against the Jewish boys would be annulled and she would be free to bring her son back home. It is said that Miriam was at least seven to ten years old when Moses was born. Concerned for what might happen to her brother after he drifted off into the river, Miriam was sent to observe his journey. His journey. Would an Egyptian find him and kill him based on Pharaoh's mandate? Would a living creature in the river eat him alive? Would the basket get caught in the outer bank or stopped by a large branch and he starved to death? Can you imagine what Miriam is thinking? What would be the fate of her brother? Then something miraculous happens. Miriam watches as Pharaoh's daughter sees the basket in the river, looks at the face of this baby boy and has compassion for him. What's interesting to note is that it is Miriam who, although a young child, is intuitive, courageous, and brave enough to speak up and literally negotiate a contract with Pharaoh's daughter. 
that she might keep him alive and have her mother, Jochebed, nurse him until he became a young boy. And then the princess says, yes, imagine a young girl, maybe the one that just ran over here just a moment ago. Imagine a young girl that you know doing just that. We can thank Miriam for assuring that Moses was kept alive and kept in contact with his mother and Hebrew heritage and family. For just maybe, it was solely because Moses was nursed by his mother that he never forgot who he was and stayed grounded in his culture and his people as a Hebrew boy. We can thank Miriam for that. Dr. Gaffney reminds us that after Miriam negotiates a contract with the princess, there is great space in her story. The Bible is full of these spaces, many disproportionately in the stories about women. Did Miriam continue her relationship with the princess? Did she and her mother live in the palace where, Mer where Moses was nursing? Why did Miriam never marry? How did she become a prophet? How did she serve God and her people? We do know that at some point in her life, she becomes recognized as a woman of God. Not Moses' prophet, for that was Aaron, her brother, but a prophet of God in her own right. God spoke to her and through her, and she spoke for God in song and verse. The Bible's oldest passages are songs and poems composed by the prophets Miriam and Deborah. Now imagine with me that Miriam is watching the life of Moses unfold before her. She is watching Moses grow up in the Egyptian culture as an adopted son of a princess. She is watching her brother have access to privilege and power while still being in the body of a slave boy, a Hebrew boy. She is watching her brother assimilate and maybe at times forget who he is. She is watching him live in the tension of, am I going to assimilate and be who the Egyptians want me to be, or am I going to be a voice for my people? Miriam watched her brother go back to her people and see how strenuous the labor was and how brutal the oppressive conditions were. She saw how Moses' eyes were opened as he watched an Egyptian brutally beat one of his own people. In rage, Moses killed an Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. Though Miriam may not have been present for every single incident, she is present for the transformation of her brother Moses. She is present for the 12 plagues that God uses to awaken Pharaoh into realizing that the people that he is oppressing do not belong to him. She is watching him grow and be called by God to be a prophet and a voice of deliverance. She is watching and beholding the story and life of her brother, whom she helped save, become emboldened and impactful voice to deliver her people. And she, along with Moses and Aaron, become a powerful triune, power-packed, sibling dynamic trio that God uses to deliver his people. And finally, Miriam is also present when Pharaoh says, I will let your people go. And Moses leads them to the Red Sea, and God, through Moses, parts the Red Sea. But get this, no one wants to walk through the parted sea to the other side. Dr. Gaffney states, Moses and the Israelites sing Miriam's song, the song of the sea at the water's edge. 
But the people wouldn't move. They wouldn't walk through the water. So Miriam took a small hand drum. This is my niece's little tambourine. And many of your translations, if you're ever reading about the story, it says tambourine, but that's actually an inaccurate translation because there were no metal pieces, but it was a small hand drum like this. So Miriam took a small hand drum, and she took it in her hand, and she led the people through the water singing her song. First, she sang by herself and danced by herself. This reminds me of the great prophet Lizzo said in her most recent sacred text, watch out for the big girls. She said, I had to liberate myself first so that I could then liberate others. Moses was on the side holding his arms in the air. He didn't lead the people through the water. The prophet Miriam led her people to freedom beginning with the sisters. The women joined Miriam in the song of the sea and dance of deliverance, leading her people through the danger water. Miriam was the first Israelite to set foot on the other side. Isn't it always like women to be the first ones? We can thank Miriam for her artistic, prophetic voice. She was an embodied witness of liberation and freedom and created a prophetic imagination for Israel to get to the other side, to imagine no longer being enslaved, to imagine a life without oppression. Men in the room, I hope you are encouraged to decenter yourself and let the women around you lead. For Miriam had always been leading with Moses and Aaron. She had always shared leadership with Moses and Aaron. And women, I hope you are encouraged that you have always been a part of God's story. You have always been a prophetic voice throughout biblical history. You have always been a leader and you have always been used by God to stir prophetic imagination in this present culture in order for them to see that we can exist as something different. So lead in whatever context you find yourself to be in, for we are all daughters of Miriam. And this is where Miriam speaks to me. This is where God answered my prayer at the silent retreat and gave me a vision as pastor, gave me a vision as a woman. Miriam speaks to me because she's a poet, a singer, a drummer, and a visionary. And her song to the Israelites went like this, sing to the Lord, he is exalted, he has thrown horse and rider into the sea. I imagine all of Israel as they marched together just like they do in protest today. And they marched on dry ground surrounded by walls of impossibility. Yet God made a way for them to cross over to the other side. And they are led by a prophet called Miriam. And she sings. And as she dances, she embodies a place of liberation as the river swallows up the horse and rider that is oppressing them. Miriam begins to give Israel a prophetic imagination to exist and to live as something different. She invites them to imagine a life without white supremacy, to imagine a life without police brutality, to imagine a life without mass incarceration, 
to imagine a life without code switching, imagine a life without abuse, imagine a life without oppression, to imagine a life that is free, that is liberated, that is equal, and that is just. Miriam uses her singing, her dancing, her drumming, her truth-telling, her poems, her original songs to imagine and see something different. Because you can't become something you don't see. Miriam is freaking dope. But the story of Miriam moves on. In Numbers 12... 12, 1 through 16, the story of Miriam um, is a story of Miriam that oftentimes many point to when they think about her life. Some people say, remember that woman who became leprous because she spoke out against God's prophet Moses? It's almost like this one act that is seemingly characterized by others as a mistake becomes the thing that we remember Miriam by. But as we look at this passage, I want to invite you to look at the story with fresh eyes and to remember that Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, although God used them to deliver the Israelites out of enslavement into liberation, they were all still just human beings, like you and me, still needing to eat and make dinner, poop and pee, sing and dance and laugh and cry and get looked over for promotion and fall in love and be rejected and be misunderstood and try and grow and be fearful and be scared and be uncertain and unsure and try to lead people that complain and then believe in you one day and then don't believe in you in the next. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam are literally human beings like you and me. May we not idolize their sacred calling, but see it with fresh eyes and remember that they are human like us. Now, with that in mind, let's read the passage tonight. Numbers 12, 1 through 16. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Quite funny that he also wrote that about himself. Verse 4 says, At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of the cloud, and he stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my house, and with him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. So God leaves the scene right here. Verse 10, when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, 
not God, he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin that we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. And after that, the people left Hezeroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. Now, this is a story all about how her life got flipped, turned upside down. But... Dr. Gaffney invites us to think of this story a bit differently. In this passage, Miriam has something to say about the state of Moses' household. She was right in her criticism. Moses wasn't God's only prophet. She was God's prophet too. But she was wrong in talking about Moses and not talking to him. And don't get it twisted, Moses needed talking to. He had just shown up with a shiny new wife, black and shiny, a Nubian sister, perhaps blacker than the range of beige, brown, and black that made up Israel and the multitude that left slavery on their time. But perhaps not. Skin color wasn't an issue in their time. The issue was that Moses just showed up with a new woman, having put out his old woman and their children. For polygamy was acceptable to the Israelites, but child abandonment was a whole nother issue. Now think about that for a second. This story is wild. In Exodus 18, we see that Moses literally marries his first wife, Zipporah, has a couple kids, then eventually sends them away, sometimes appropriately translated as divorce. People don't like to think of Moses as a divorced man, but that's also the Western world for you. Then later on, Moses, Moses's, later on, Moses' father-in-law comes back with his wife and kids, hoping to put Moses' family back together. But then Moses doesn't even acknowledge his family. He simply hugs his father-in-law and again sends them away for a second time. We don't hear anything more about Moses and his family business until he shows up in our passage, which we just read, with his brand new wife, the dark and lovely melanated Cushite woman. And Miriam's like, when does the madness stop? Her frustration with Moses boils over into a heated conversation with her other brother, Arian, and she's like, Bro, what is he doing? He can't treat people like this. I mean, what kind of example is he setting? The math is not mathing for me. Although she is not wrong for holding a man of God accountable, she did not speak to Moses. She spoke about Moses to someone else. And that's where things kind of get messy for Miriam and Aaron. Current translations of the Bible seem to make Miriam look like the bad guy. Aaron kind of gets off the hook, and Miriam is the one that gets leprosy. But there's so much more to this story. In her further research, Dr. Gaffney states that Rabbianic scholars have suggested that leprous as snow can be interpreted as flaky or scaly like snowflakes, or cold or dead as snow, or wet as snow. 
Acquired leukoderma is a relatively common affliction of women of color in which portions of their skin lose pigment and become scaly in texture. There is also a possibility in her research that Moses and not God was the one that caused all of the skin suffering which radically changes the interpretation of this text. Now I invite you to look at this passage again with fresh eyes. In verse 9, God leaves before the disease comes upon Miriam and Aaron, which happens to be in verse 10. Then in verse 11, Aaron says, please, my Lord, using the human form of Lord, not the divine form, pointing to Moses as the addressee. He says, please don't place on us the sin which we have been foolish and in which we have sinned. The placement of the sin was the skin disease, and the sin itself was questioning the prophetic calling of Moses, despite his life choices and moral obligation. Now, I'm not asking you to take this interpretation and make it law for yourself. I ask only that we read these stories in light of the realization that the Western world and the Western translations at times have interpreted the text drastically different than in the original cultural meaning. Now, Miriam is then banished for seven days, after which the Israelites refuse to leave the city of Hazaroth without her in verse 15. After her gathering, they depart to the city of Paran, which is the next city. The strength of Miriam's influence and leadership of the Israelites is revealed in the narrative of the refusal of the people to leave Miriam behind after her affliction. The congregation would not continue to the promised land until Miriam was restored. When Miriam made her mistake, she owned it with Aaron. She didn't throw anybody under the bus. She repented, and then she sat down for a time. Dr. Gaffney reminds us at this point in Miriam's life that she didn't just sit down alone. The people sat with her. And get this, they sat down on God, and so God waited for Miriam too. Ordinarily, the people followed the leading of God in the form of a pillar of cloud by day, watching over them by night as a pillar of fire by night. But in Numbers 12, verse 15, we see that the people would not get up and go without their prophet. They knew Miriam was more than her most public mistake. They remembered Miriam's role as a prophet to the people. Can you imagine God picking up the cloud and starting out on the next day and then nobody follows? God literally waited on Miriam with her waiting people, waiting on her restoration. As the band comes up, I want to talk about the conclusion of Miriam's life. Miriam left a good name, a great name, an enduring legacy. Miriam is one of the most important women of the Bible. She is mentioned in more books than any other woman, and she is the only woman to have her childhood, adulthood, old age, death, and burial recorded in the scriptures. In Israelite culture, a person had immortality through their children, specifically through their name passed down to and through their children. But Miriam never had any children, and she never married, yet 
her name lives on forever. Miriam, the one who watches over Moses to keep him alive. Prophet, dancer, singer, artist, truth teller. One of the three divine trio leading Israel into the promised land. Never marries, never has children. But her name was the most popular woman's name in Jewish communities for almost 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Even Jesus' mother Mary's name is actually translated as a version of Miriam. So hundreds of years later, Mary, another Miriam, gives birth to the Savior of the world. And at his resurrection, it was Mary Magdalene, another Miriam, that was the first to see that Jesus was resurrected and literally rejoices as she goes to tell the disciples what she had seen. It was almost as if Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of Jesus, were embodied witnesses of the prophet Miriam. At the Red Sea, with a pathway to liberation before her, she invited the people to sing and dance and rejoice because their delivering God had once again delivered them. All of those Marys, all of those Miriams, were named for one woman, the mother of them all, although she never married and never gave birth. She was the prophet Miriam. If you wouldn't mind, take a moment just to close your eyes and ask the Lord, what do you want me to know about the life of Miriam? What do you want me to do, Lord Jesus, about what we have heard tonight about the life of Miriam? Just take a moment. In the name of the one who waited in the waters of Miriam's womb, walked the way of suffering as one of the women born, and awoke from the grasp of death in the deep darkness of the morning.
For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.